I'm waking up on Cape Cod to the craziest bird noises outside. I don't know if you can hear them. Of course, they're quieter now that I'm trying to tape them. Damn it. This is my friend, Sean Cole. Over the past few months, he and I have been sending each other these little voice memos. Let me just check if I'm still recording. I am. I certainly am. I love a good voice memo. They're easy to make, much easier than dinner plans. And they can be so intimate. It's like I'm in my friend's head, because really they're talking as much to themselves as they are to me. This time I was smart and I recorded on the voice recording app. Just still going. I should have just done that the entire time. I don't know why I didn't. The whole reason we started sending these messages is Sean Cole, who's a poet, recently came out with a new collection titled After These Messages. So, of course, we talked about poems, including the fact that he wasn't writing any. Partly because every time I think about writing a poem, I want a cigarette. Sean is trying to quit, if that wasn't abundantly clear from the anguish in his voice. He was also trying to document the process for his day job. Because besides being a poet, Sean works for this radio show called This American Life, which, unlike his poetry, has an audience of millions. People get writer's block over less. And so I could hear the closer he got to deadline, the more interesting literally anything else became. If you've ever wanted to know what happens in the back of a police precinct, I can tell you because my window looks out exactly onto the back of the precinct. And the answer to what happens in the back of a police precinct is nothing. Nothing happens. There's no activity whatsoever. So that's today's episode of Poetry Off the Shelf. A series of messages between Sean Cole and me, Helena de Groot. Let's call this one Pen Pals. A quick warning before we dive in. Well, two warnings. One, we swear a lot. And two, we talk about death and we really get into it. Because Sean, over the past several years, has lost three of his four parents. First his mother, then his stepfather, Ed, who he'd known since he was six, and not long after that, his father. So yeah, please take care if that's not something you want to hear about today. Let me take you back to the beginning. When we started sending these messages, it was May. And about six months before, Sean had moved back to his favorite neighborhood in Brooklyn, Greenpoint, after a few years away. But even after half a year, he was still getting used to the apartment. It's crazy in here with the most insane floral wallpaper from like stem to stern and... Is that the expression? Whatever. Tip to toe. And I fucking love it. But um, it takes me forever to get settled and to like get fully furnished even. And uh, 
Like, I'm unpacked, I guess, but it still looks like another apartment threw up in this apartment. Um, and I moved back because uh, I didn't know how at home I felt here until I left. It was one of those things. It's where I feel the most at home in New York. It's probably where I've felt the most at home since I left Boston. I think it also reminds me a little bit of Boston. It's kind of low and there are these like rows of duplexes. It's near a body of water and there's a bunch of churches. Okay. Um, happy morning to you, and, um, and I hope that you have a great Tuesday day day. Okay, bye. Sean, this is so lovely. And I was thinking about that too, you know, like, this drive to, like, move back home in a way, to move back to where you feel at home. So funny, right? We're like, I'm gonna move away. I'm gonna be like a, an artist in the city. I'm gonna be so exciting. And then, uh, no, <laughs> kind of what you're looking for is home, you know? So anyway, yeah, I'm wondering about that. Like, how has your relationship to home changed? And especially now that your, yeah, your mom is no longer there. Do you feel like you even have a home to return to? And like, what does it mean for you to build your own home, you know? Because you don't have kids. And I don't want to be grandiose and be like, well, you know, you must build your home in words. I mean, maybe. You tell me if you do. Hey. Ha, this is great. What a great conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, kids. Wow. Um, and home, and it is a great question in terms of what is home without making a home for a family of that nature. I think about that a lot too, and how when your parents die, yeah, you, I mean, you, you can't, you literally, the home kind of goes away. I remember Christmas 2021 was the first year that going home for the holidays, I guess, meant going to my sister's place. And, you know, and they're wonderful, her and her husband. They're like, you can come here anytime, you know, blah, blah. And that's not blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And that's great. And, uh, but it, it is, yeah, it's weird uh, not having a, a place that is kind of automatic and that you can just, like, kind of walk in the door unannounced. Yeah, and I remember also discovering that I wanted to talk to my stepdad because of something that had happened, but he was dead. And so that was when I also discovered that I can't, uh, also I can't call home anymore. Uh, and it's an incredibly lonely feeling. I'm I'm very lonely without my parents all the time in a way that I don't really tend to talk about very much but that I think about a lot. Yeah. 
I guess I guess that's it. I love I love this conversation. It's very fun. We should totally keep doing this beyond the podcast. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I don't know how exactly how it ties back to the poems, other than the fact that the poems. Uh, I was I was in I was in Denmark and I was hanging out with my friend Pike Malinowski, who's a poet, and his friend Martin, who's a filmmaker. And we're all sitting around the table, and you know, Martin and I were just getting to know each other, and he was asking me about the poems and what I write about or whatever, which is, you know, just like a question that I've always dreaded, because what do you say? But then I was like, oh, death, the poems are all about death. And I think, I think they're all about, I think they're uh, 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 about ex ex death and, and the thing that happens before death. <laughs> like, like, I think they kind of, it doesn't, I, now I'm, now it turns out that I hate listening to myself talk sometimes. Okay. Oh my God, Sean, I completely dropped the ball there. I just disappeared for, what, a week? Um, I'm sorry. And especially I'm sorry because your last message, you kind of ended it on death. You said also that your poems, <clears throat> that your poems are kind of all about death and all the stuff that comes before it, <laughs> you know? But I, now I saw, oh yeah, this like, the manic energy almost. Uh, like, life, everything, you know, ads included, people on the subway include, like just all of the things that come on our path as we do this thing before death. Just going for in morning constitutional in the peaceful climbs of Greenpoint here. Thought I'd take a walk down by the water. So this is where I like to come. This um, pier, it sort of juts out into the, like pretty far into the river. So you're just standing right over the water and looking at Manhattan. And it's like you're on a boat, except it's just like a boat that's not going anywhere. And there are all of these locks that lovers have locked up to the barricade here and thrown the key into the East River. All these locks. Wonder what happened to all those relationships. So this is this is the first of the commercial break poems in the book Commercial Break I don't have rheumatoid arthritis I do have a special plastic spout my girlfriend gave me to keep wine fresh She's gone now All is loss I'm the next Dancing with Stars champion though so that keeps me going This place stinks of absentia What happens when my own house reminds me of us my own skin my aha moment is still in the future. 
Fortunately, I found the most effective yogurt for my hair. Potent, proven. Leave it in long enough, it becomes cheese. That's when Sean's ready for dating. Five years ago, a message was buried in the fashion world. They said we should wait. That message is me. Take a picture. Send it to someone you love. Forget she'll eventually leave. Rub all over with cranberry soap. Repeat. things I'm so curious about is if you're still drawn to the manic, frantic muchness of life, especially because you have experienced so much death lately, so, so close by. And uh, do you feel like your mom is somewhere? Or is she just very much not there? Okay, um, my mother, um, when we were going through her journals, I say we, my stepdad sent me a quote from one of her journals, and she said something like, the poet Sean Cole says, not acknowledging that I'm her son, but like, the poet Sean Cole says, and then a quote from a poem of mine, uh, I'm doing a really bad job at this because I can't even tell you what the line is, but it's something about acknowledging or respecting your future worms, meaning, the, you know, being underground and being eaten by worms. And she said that it gave her a shudder. The journal entry was all about her really feeling her own mortality and feeling fear of death. I can dig it out for you. Um, but isn't that something? I got, you know, I, I got choked up by that. The poet Sean Cole. That's so funny. Um, when she was cremated, um, we went to the boardwalk on Cape Cod and uh, we shook out her ashes into the marsh. It's a very messy business. And you get it on you a lot to the point where like, you know, afterwards we were in the parking lot and my sister looked at me and said, you have ashes on your glasses. It made me think like, oh, you know, they talk about how matter is never created nor destroyed. It just changes form. So it felt like she changed form. Um, and her atoms were they're still there, like the atoms that made up her brain, that made up her heart, that made up, you know, her mouth and her eyes, like, they're still here on the planet Earth, you know. In terms of where is she spiritually, I don't know. I do know that these days there are moments where I will be walking around my apartment or wherever, kind of talking to myself, and I'll, it, it's almost like 
I'm possessed by her. Like it'll be like saying like little cute quippy things to myself, kind of in her cadence. I almost sound like her, like my voice almost sounds like her. And uh, it's nice. It's like I'm being visited by her somehow. I couldn't do it for you right now, but like it just kind of happens. It doesn't happen with Ed nor with my father who were sort of, we've been leaving out of this conversation, but my biological father also died about three months after my stepfather. Um, I didn't watch him die, but I watched my stepdad and mom die. Uh, which is a, a thing I don't. Um, it's a thing that I never that I that I don't acknowledge enough. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I never. Like it was like a, there was a moment recently where I kind of stopped, and I was like, "Hang on a second. It's not just that my." mother died and my stepdad died and my biological father died I watched two of those people die I watched it happen you know and they went from being people who were alive to people who were no longer alive um, with my mother it was very eerie and very there was it was not subtle she was you know she had taken off the machines. My sister and me were holding her hands. My sister was looking away because she couldn't bear to look, I think, at my mom's face. My mom was gasping for air. She wasn't conscious, and she was. they told us she wasn't uncomfortable, but her body was still trying to live and couldn't. And... Uh, and then everybody left the room, and I stayed in the room, and I was looking at her. And the color drained from her face, and she became extremely pale, and her lips sort of curled around her teeth, and her face hollowed out, and she became a corpse. Oh, boy. I think it did something in me that I'm not yet fully uh, that I haven't really metabolized. I've, sir, I've never written about that. And it's informed, I think, everything that I do, but it hasn't, like, you, you know. You're, uh, I think you're the first person I've said that to, actually. Told, uh, described that, that um, in that much detail. I think you asked me other things, but I should probably leave it there and pour the now somewhat tepid water into the coffee thing. I'll just give it a little bit of a warmer here. Uh, it's just that's so funny. Helena, maybe it's because I'm talking to you, but I just accidentally made coffee for two people instead of one. Uh, cheers. And thanks so much.
I have not talked to anyone yet. Well, I better not because it's 720. I don't know who would want me to have talked to them already. Oh, yeah. Since we're talking about dying, um, (laughs) my God, do you want to talk about aging? Do you feel older? I was going to say old, so that sounds... Well, I do. I feel old. Um, I'm, like, pulling my face up, you know, like, my cheeks to just be, like, so I could be like this. Um, Yeah, now I just finished reading an article in the New York Times about if there's such a thing as an at-home facelift, you know, if there's any tool or cream or injection that you can... Why am I reading this stuff? I'm not gonna do that. I'm not, I'm too proud. Um... (laughs) You know what I recently started to do? (laughs) Because, um, you know, I was noticing how I would wake up and my face would be all puffy and I I didn't used to have that. Uh, And I drink water and I do, you know, I do all the things. I don't even drink alcohol. Um, but my face would be puffy. And so I looked up on the internet, like, why, why? And one of the things the internet said in its infinite wisdom was that it can be because when you sleep, water basically goes to the lowest point. So if you sleep on your side or you sleep, God forbid, on your belly with your head like down, then the water will collect in there. So I have taken to sleeping on my back. (laughs) The liquid in my face can just drain right to the back of my head where nobody can see it um anyway why am i talking to you about this i just wonder is aging a thing that you think about that scares you that you're excited about that can you know you can be that person i will support that um and uh, I, i don't know why you write sean i don't know why If that's even a smart question to ask, you know, like maybe you just do it because you like it or because you do it. So uh, do you know why you do it? Uh, Yeah. And if aging has something to do with that, like, do you you have this kind of um, fear of the devil in you? You know, you're like, wow, I, I still have to do this and that now that I still can. I'm now in Copenhagen. I'm standing, I don't know, at some governmental or monarchical building, vaguely castle slash church looking. And uh, yeah, everything looks really ancient. And there's a statue of the queen or a queen. That's so old, it's green and uh, corroding. Um, uh, and aging, I think, I think about all the time, Elena. I'm like, I'm like, that's all I think about. Um, I've always identified in my life, I realized at a certain point, as somebody who's under 40 and, uh, not to other people, but it's just how it felt. I was like, oh, I'm a person who's under 40 which became a problem when I turned 40. Um, 
and it became a real problem when I turned 50. And it's dawning on me more and more that I'm in real trouble because I'm just going to keep aging and I really don't like it. And I totally relate to you sleeping on your back. I think that's hilarious, letting all the water drain to the back of your head, fantastic. And to looking up the self-facelift thing on, in the New York Times, totally get that. Um, I'm, uh, among my age-related obsessions, one of them is um, my hair is falling out a lot. I've got, it's like I, I'm always touching the bald spot on the top of my head which people shorter than me can't see. So uh, as long as I keep dating people who are shorter than me, it's going well. But um, it's so bald now that like it's like a baby's head, not a 51-year-old man's head. Um, as an aside, my sister said when Ed was dying, and in hospice that she didn't realize how much like caring for a dying adult was like caring for an infant down to like changing their diapers whatever but also like they'll make a sound you're like what was that you know are they okay you know kind of a thing yeah and so i don't like sit around thinking that I need to write poems so that people will remember me. Or that like I'm doing that for posterity. I, why do I do it? That's a, an excellent question. One that I almost never ask myself. Um, all I know is that I'm less happy when I haven't done it in a long time. And I'm much happier when I've just done it. And uh, look, Writing a poem is the most insane thing to do. Nobody's asking you to do it. Nobody, kind of nobody wants you to do it. A lot of people don't want you to do it. Hello, puppy. Hello. Hello, puppy. Hello. <laughs> oh, boy. Where am I now? Sanctpol's Pubs. It's like, this is old as shit. This place is so old. Talk about aging. Man, I can't believe I'm going to keep getting older. I really don't want to do it. And I don't mind the idea of being dead. But I sincerely do not want to go through the process. At all. Because um, I've seen it happen, man, and it is not cool. Oh, somebody's coming out this door, and therefore I do not want to be in front of it when they emerge. I'm going to go get some dinner. you to be in eternal conversation with me in this epistolary epistolary that's the word right or is that almost the word
anyway, I like this. Plus, I have legitimate other questions for you. Because, like, you know, this whole thing about, like, do, how does your storytelling brain and your poem writing brain, like, how do they, you know, work together or compete or uh, strangle each other out of existence? Um, we haven't really talked about that in the depth that I would like. Okay, bye, Sean. Hey. How nice to get your message today. Um it's uh, so fun talking to you, and uh, I hope that it's not too windy out here. I'm going for a walk, because I had to get away from my tape, which has a lot of me in it, and listening to me uh, is challenging. Yeah, and in terms of the thing that we talked about with... Uh, the ways in which the poetry and the radio stories support or aid each other's, you know, existence or, or get in the way of each other's existence. I, um, I, uh, I do feel like I just, I spend so much time, I spend so much time trying to make sense that it's hard to stop making sense or to unlatch the trap door to my subconscious and, and dream. It's like that door kind of rusts a little more shut. It's, and, and they're both, right? They're both sonic media. People don't think of poetry that way, but it is, you know? I mean, it's sound. And so the poetry and radio, are they're really born to be sibling art forms but it's not thought of that way at all by by radio programmers anyway um i don't know if i ever told you this when i was at wbur in boston a year years and years ago um i think franz wright won the pulitzer prize i want to say he won the pulitzer prize for walking to martha's vineyard i think i have that title right and, uh, you know, he was the son of James Wright, who also won the Pulitzer Prize, and he was local. So, you know, I found a recording of him reading, and I was like, this is easy, easy to put on Morning Edition. Easy, easy thing to do. Wrote the lead, you know, isolated the poem, gave it to the people running the show um, and then later that morning the news director comes in and was like yeah when I heard that come on after the first 20 seconds I was like fade it fade it that bummed me out and taught me something about trying to get poetry on the radio um, you know what I mean yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is also like, I'm more drawn to narrative poems than non-narrative poems. It's just easier to interview people about stories, as you well know. And of course, I fight this impulse the whole time and go with poetry that like, 
gives me a feeling or a vibe or images, but I have no idea like where is up and where is down. I try to go with those also. Because I think one of the reasons why I interview poets is because it's the most incomprehensible art form to me. And I like that about it, you know? I like that it challenges my know-it-all tendencies, you know? But again, like, then we talk about it. And then I try to figure out, who are you? And why do you write like this? And, you know, what was your relationship with your mom? Or, you know, I mean, you know what I'm doing. We are just pulled towards narrative. So, okay, so here's my basic question. Can you tell me what it is that you need poetry for? Or what can a poem do that a story usually cannot? That's such a great question. Um, I think that with stories, you're trying to make sense of something that happened and find the meaning in it. And poems, it's a different thing. It's, it's making me think things that I never would have and feel things that I never would have otherwise. You know, like I'm thinking of this Joel Oppenheimer poem uh, that was... Um, yeah, I mean, that I guess uh, I'm belying everything I'm saying to you because that it's quite a narrative poem. I'm just going to read it to you because um, I am. I don't expect you to put it on the show or anything, but. And it's like a poem I think that wouldn't survive our moment. I just think it would probably offend too many people. Or maybe it wouldn't. It's long. It's not that long. It's called Cervantes on a Sad Occurrence. It is spring. I can walk lightly down the stairs even on the way to work, and that's a gain. I swing my hat widely, not cavalierly, but Remington, the Old West, the three Mexican cowboys coming home off the plains. The sun shines even in my room and my windows are open. The pretty girls await me in the street, their coats open, or no coats at all. And on her way up the stairs, an old lady loses her control. I will write against that which is in us to make age an embarrassment in the season of coming alive. Old lady, if at this point and place and time, and all the world's area, you cannot forget that small muscle, if because of the fineness of the day, your daughter, older than my mother, says, Mama, come, sit, outside, all winter you've sat in, the sun, the air, come, mama, outside you'll sit, and you go painfully the one flight down and sit, and then come up and halfway up. Don't tell, Mrs. Stern, the daughter screams, I'll be back right away, all clean, don't tell. What can she possibly tell, old woman, that you are old, that you have had your children, that they have had theirs, they, theirs? And you are still here. Your world still exists. Where does she fit in? As if there weren't already shit in the world. And you invented it. What further indignities to allow besides inventing shit? And on top of it, 
as you clung to the banister at the top step, almost around fifteen feet from your door, to face me suddenly, coming down from one flight up, my hat no longer swinging but over my head, over my thin bearded face, my God, the moan then, even your daughter scared by it. I thought you were dying till I found out the truth. Me, a tall, skinny, bearded, eyeglassed, hollow-eyed, ascetic Jew, big hat, you were back in Poland, but I am no rabbi, and it is no sin. I am not the Hasid or simple Ashkenazi Reb you knew and danced before, around, the Psalms went high to God. David I am not. There's no cause for the alarm. I'm so far removed from it. All I could think was, old lady, I wish I knew how to say aspetto in Yiddish, and couldn't. Old lady, it's spring. I love you, great-grandma. This is a natural act. Why will you fear me for it? I see each day more shit than you could ever dream of making. Screw your daughter. Let Mrs. Stern watch out for her own steps. I am just standing here waiting for you to pass. Too late now for me to go back up the stairs. I have just discovered what the fact is much too late and will stand quietly. And moving past it, later... After you have been able to pass me to your door, me, going down the steps, a warmth it offers up, steaming like any simple load of cow or horse shit, and the clumsy Kleenex streaks where your daughter had started wiping. Christ, this is the east side. Let it sit there. There is room for it. Need for it. Labor does not create wealth. Wealth does not create wealth. Shit creates wealth. Old lady, old lady, you... You are the creator spirit. Though your tits hang shrunken in your wrapper, though your man's long dead. I had a woman once had need to pee each time she came. The bed was wet with it. But she had less need, old woman, than you of simple love that would allow such miscreant act. This daughter then suckled, like we say, at that long, dry breast too long ago to give you back your due. Her pants were full too long ago to let yours drop today. Let it go, old woman. Let it go. Shit on it. Let it go. This is the east side. This is Park Avenue. This is your son, the doctor's riverside, drive side. Let it go. This much you're entitled to. This much even I can grant you. Who worries if he farts too loud in his own silent room? Who pisses to the edge of the bowl? It shouldn't make no noise. Who, like so many of us, wakes each morning to either constipation or the runs? This much I can grant you. Shit on the stairs of my house. You are old enough for that. Rem remember the little boys... They have not yet learned how to piss. They stand at the curb between two cars, their feet spread and braced. They arch over into the street. They fight each other. Distance, the pride, show-offs. Why can't you shit that easily on these steps, old lady? I am sorry. And it is spring. And where did you think the flowers will come from? The rain? And the pretty girls, if not from making love? And the shit itself, if not from eating? And the broken noses and the black eyes and scars, if not from fighting? This is the east side. 
Guns crack. People snort their noses full of life. And you are dying because you shat upon these steps. And you were faced with me. Old lady, act your age. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I guess... I don't know if that's any kind of answer to your question. But that poem just... It destroys me, I guess. It's just, it's just such a much more direct injection. It's not a train of thought. It's a sudden burst of thought. It's 30 thoughts at once, all on top of each other, competing, and... Um, and whatever. I mean, I'm trying to make sense of it and still answer your question at the same time, but I just want to say it's just that it's just so fucking moving to me. And, uh, and you know, and obviously, like, mom stuff, really. Mom stuff and old woman stuff and embarrassment of the body stuff. I can't believe he wrote that poem. I just feel like he, he had an experience where his upstairs neighbors shit on the stairs, and that's what he made of it? That's what poetry's for. Oh, shit. That poor woman. Oh God, Sean, I'm sorry I didn't listen before and now I listen and now I'm crying because you are crying. And you're right, I can't believe that someone wrote an ecstatic poem, which I think it is, about an old lady losing control of her bowels. <laughs> In love, too, that he just said or she lost control without any qualification. And you think he's... You think maybe she peed, maybe... And you're sort of grateful for the euphemism. And then he's like, fuck your euphemism. Let me tell you exactly what we are what we all become. There's nothing dignified about old age. And yet, <laughs> you know, the glory of being alive and her world still being there, that line, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, thank you for reading that poem. And, um, yeah, you're right, only a poem could 
It's my birthday today. It's my 40th birthday. So yeah, I don't feel weird about being 40. I have to say, I have been actually saying that I was 40 for the past year because I think 39 is such a big age. Like when you say 39, I, I assume people think you're 40 and you're just trying to, um, appease yourself your panic about getting older so I have been 40 for a year and now I'm actually 40 so I feel like uh, nothing special happened yeah speaking of being 40 I met up with another radio friend of mine yesterday Rachel James I don't know if you know her anyway we were talking about turning 40 and getting older and death and all that you know <laughs> I mean, no, I think, no, I was talking about my interview because, you know, this lady that I interviewed this morning and she was like, oh, so, you know, what does she write about? So one of the things she writes about is, you know, time, which is great because when someone talks about time, we can talk about death, which is like my favorite topic because it's the only topic, you know, in a way. And I, and I just, I caught myself sounding very dark or glib or both. And so I said to Rachel, like, oh, I guess that's middle age talking. And she said, well, and I'd never heard this expression before. That's why it struck me. Well, as they say, you're over the hill now. And just this image of being in this pastoral landscape with a, a gentle sloping hill, and I am now on the downslope. It just seemed suddenly so perfectly peaceful to me. And I love it. And yes, we talked about the indignities of old age and the terror of knowing that you're going to die and the suffering of whatever is the thing that's killing you. And I obviously am not looking to forward to any of that. But I think I, I'm fine with not being young anymore. I mean, I know for a fact that I'm fine with that. I feel like relief of some sort. You know, like when you've gone to a party and you were all like dressed nice and you know, it's, it's cool to dress nice and go to a party, but then you come home and you get to kick off those shoes and just like take a shower, put something on that smells like lavender, go make a tea, hang out on the couch, like, Oh, that is what 
what I go to any party for. It's just for like the relief of them being able to come home from it. And that's kind of how I feel. Do, do you feel that there are things that you enjoy now that when you were younger, you didn't? Or you didn't as much? Hey. Wow, so much to respond to. And, um, yeah, um, what do I enjoy more now than when I was younger? It's funny, Helena. First of all, you are not old. <laughs> you are... F I know it's different for women than men. I know that when you turn 40, you're like, I'm 40. I've experienced it. I know that. You're not old and you're not in middle age. I mean... I guess technically, like, you're middle-aged, but you're not middle-aged. You're 40. You're 40. Like, it's for, it's young. Uh, I remember looking in the car window when I was filling in at that show, The Story. It was called The Story at WNC. I was filling in for Dick Gordon, and I go to my car. It's the summertime. It's blaringly hot in the parking lot. I'm the last car in the parking lot because I always worked late. And I look in my car window... And I was 40, and I was like, wow, I didn't think that's what 40 looked like. But of course it's what 40 looked like, because I'm 40, and I look like that. But when I look back at pictures of me when I was 40 and 42 and whatnot, I'm like, you young motherfucker. Like, I had all my fucking hair, almost. Not really, but I sort of did. And I was like a lot, I think I was a lot hotter uh, then. So, that now established. Uh, when you say, like, you, like, go to parties to come home or whatever, I'm, like, the opposite. I just, like, I want a fucking party. You know, like, I'm, like, an emotional Benjamin Button. I'm, like, totally going backwards in terms of, like... Like, I think that that is a reasonable thing to feel, what you describe, of, like, going to parties just so that you can have the joy of going home and coming home and putting on comfortable pants and making tea and like putting something lavender that smells nice on taking a bath and like all and all those things that that might fall under the category of self-care i don't know the meaning of the words self-care i just i wake up in order to party i just want to i want to go to the party and stay at the party and i don't ever want to go home and when i do come home i don't i mean i'm so i don't what am i what am i doing not putting on Different pants. I just bought two pairs of linen pajama bottoms because I was like, all of my lighter pajama bottoms have been destroyed. And now I have two pair of very comfortable linen pajama bottoms that I do not change into when I get home because I am a masochist. Um, you're also so funny because you are the first person that I've ever heard of who, <laughs> who hears the phrase over the hill and thinks of it in a positive <laughs> light. That is so wonderfully European of you. But yeah, I mean, when you describe it that way, like a gentle sloping down, that's, that's a riot actually. And I can't wait to tell other people that in a loving way about you. Anyhow, I was going to tell you something. I don't know what, I guess I don't know. Uh, I think that probably, what do I enjoy more now that I'm older than I did than I did when I was younger? I don't know. 
Maybe nothing. That's sad. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't mean to end on a bummer note, but, um, but yeah, I think that's the truth. I don't, I don't know. I can't, I don't think there is anything. I mean, I guess I, you know, I love my friends so much and, um, and I love spending time with them. And I think I, I understand more now how lucky I am and I, and I'm very grateful for um, all the great people in my life. And I'm very lucky in that way. At the same time, I feel so lonely now that my parents are dead. I'm, I'm lucky that I have those people. Um, and <laughs> I love when you said that death is the only topic. You're fucking right. It is. It is. Fuck everything else. It's the only, I mean, it's the only thing we all know is going to happen. Is there anything else that we all know is going to happen? bowel movements. But that's only if we eat. How about that for cheery? Okay, Helena, let's hang out. Uh, we can maybe go to one of our houses. I'm starting to finally get shit going on this end. I got the wall painted. I'm gonna get some furniture. Uh, like that. Okay. Bye-bye. Sean Cole is the author of one full-length collection titled After These Messages and three chapbooks, Itty City, By the Author, and One Train. He's also on staff at This American Life, where he makes many of my favorite radio stories. His writing is just so good and dark and sweet and him. Not to mention funny, even the story he made after his mother died. That one is titled call me maybe Sean has also won awards for his radio stories including a Peabody nomination and a gold award for best documentary in the third coast Richard H. Driehaus Foundation competition 2021 for his story Time Bandit you can find that and every other of his stories on the This American Life website the music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions and if you're a regular This American Life listener, you may have recognized one Blue Dot track they use all the time. Lemon and Melon. Consider it an homage. I also want to thank a few people. My editor at the Poetry Foundation, Jeremy Leibarger, for giving me the space and encouragement to play around. The brilliant Brendan Baker for helping me with mixing and mastering. And of course, Sean Cole, my friend for entertaining me for months, for trusting me through the process, and for giving the end result his blessing. I'm Helena Dechroth, and this was Poetry Off the Shelf. Thank you for listening.